Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zo and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Just wanted to say a quick thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. This week's message is brought to us by our interim senior pastor, Abe Lee. He is preaching from the book of Micah. So over the past few weeks, let me recap. We've been uh, focusing on the minor prophets, the 12 minor prophets. And just as a reminder, the books of the quote-unquote minor prophets, they're not minor because they're not important. They are absolutely important. They're minor simply because they're shorter, right? They're not as long as the quote-unquote major prophets. And, and their messages, though, are just as significant and just as important. The message that these 12 present is of a God who is constantly calling his people back, his beloved back. And they, they present a God who is actively calling his beloved to repent and to reconcile with him so that they, and in the same way we, can be redeemed. We're repeatedly being presented a God who's calling his chosen ones, his beloved ones, the ones intended to be a holy nation set apart, the ones intended to be a royal priesthood. He's constantly, repeatedly presenting a God who reaches out to those who are, unfortunately, rejecting his will, rejecting his ways. And so these prophets, including Micah, who we're going to look at today, they're wanting to open the eyes of God's beloved to how they sought out and how we today are seeking to look more like citizens of the world versus citizens of heaven. And the 12, they point to this corporate, this nationwide, this pervasive lack of obedience when it came to issues of social justice, economic equity, of faithful obedience to Yahweh, to God. And Micah is a story of a nation that chose greed and selfishness and pride over generosity and love, the love that God was calling us to live. Now, the book of Micah really, I think, has three parts. Micah brings the accusations of how Israel was doing wrong and also how Israel had to turn around to do right. And finally, this hope that kind of underlies the entire book, a hope of a future Messiah. Now, for the kids that are joining us today, specifically Henry and Luke, and maybe online Matthew, if you're joining us, this is what I want to ask of you today. This is for you. Just like I asked you last time uh, we did this, I asked you to draw a picture of a good shepherd, and I think like a boss shepherd, which you all did an amazing job. I, I do like those pictures that you drew last time. I'm going to ask you to draw again today, and there's also a handout for, for you guys. I'm kind of looking forward to see what you draw after I ask you to do this, but here's what I want you to draw. I want you to draw... Uh, and thank you, Henry. Henry rushed over here to get on time past the triathlon or whatever's going on on Lakeshore Drive. He got here in time just to read from Micah chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. And I want you to draw verse 8. Because verse 8 talks about how God has shown us what we are supposed to do. How we need to do what is right to other people or to act justly. We, we need to live humbly with God and we need to love being kind to others. So these three things, I'm going to ask I'm going to talk about these three things with you and your parents and the other folks here. But while I'm talking about it, if you could, draw me a picture of what doing those three things will look like for you, especially since you're going to be starting school tomorrow. I'm sorry about that. But you'll be starting school tomorrow. So if you can, draw me a picture of what it looks like to act justly, what it looks like for you to love being kind, and what it looks like for you to walk humbly with God. Okay? Cool? Yeah, I see something. Um, 
I'm going to give everyone else, as you're drawing that picture, a little background about Micah and what's going on, okay? To start off, I'd like to go back a little bit, reading from the Christian Standard Bible, starting in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And this is what it says there. It says, now, listen. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your complaint. Listen to the Lord's lawsuit, you mountains and enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people, and he will argue it against Israel. So here we have this courtroom drama that Micah is pointing out to us. And it's a drama where the case against Israel is being presented before the mountains. Now, up until this point, the first few chapters, Micah has been spending a lot of time telling the Israelites exactly what they've been doing wrong, pointing out how far they'd fallen away from God. And so he's basically, he's been reading the charges against God's chosen ones. And the very first charge that he levies against them was this, that people were preaching and teaching stuff that was not truth. The people, rather than telling the truth, they were pandering to the people or telling folks what they wanted to hear simply so that they could get paid. Instead of prophets speaking the word of God, you had performers speaking the word of men. In Micah chapter 3, verse 5, this is what it says. It says, This is what the Lord says concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who proclaim peace when they have food to sink their teeth into, but declare war against the one who puts nothing in their mouths. Speaking on truth. The second charge was to the leaders, corrupt leaders who would actually dream about ways to take advantage of people. And, and then because these individuals had the power to do so, they did. You had people ignoring the needs of the powerless, of the voiceless, practicing social injustice, practicing greed, practicing idolatry. In chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, these are the charges. It says, Woe to those who dream up wickedness and prepare evil plans on their beds. At morning light, they accomplish it because the power is in their hands. They covet fields and seize them. They also take houses. They deprive a man of his home, a person of his inheritance. In chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, it continues these charges against these leaders who, are, who should really know better. Verse 2 in chapter 3 says, You hate evil. And you, you hate good and you love evil. You tear off people's skin and strip their flesh from their bones. You eat the flesh of my people after you strip their skin from them and break their bones. You chop them up like flesh for the cooking pot, like meat in a cauldron. And these were the indictments being brought by God. This, these were why judgment eventually came to the chosen one, the Israelites, the original beloved of God. And these indictments by God against the people of Israel, I would ask, do they sound familiar? See, Micah's calling out the prophets because they would rather please the masses than the Messiah. They would rather preach fake news than speak the truth, especially if it meant getting paid. The thing is, I believe that these charges against the prophets, they can apply to anyone called to live lives that imitate Christ. Because here, let me explain. Because we are all called to make disciples. We are all called 
to teach others to live like Christ by living like Christ. So in today's context, I think that this indictment could be made of me and of you. So the questions I pose to you is this. Are we, are we seeking conformity to the world over our call to Christ? Is it more important to be comfortable in society or committed to Jesus? In other words, when opportunities arise to speak honestly about the gospel and the saving power of Jesus, what is your go-to response? Micah also calls out not only the leaders for their lack of moral standing, but he also levies charges against the entire nation of Israel. How, how they not have only forgotten the vulnerable, but they have taken to the extreme, flipped it around and started taking advantage of the vulnerable. The passage in Zechariah chapter 7 verse 10, it lists out what's called the quartet of the vulnerable. In 710, it says this, Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the resident alien or the poor. Widow, orphan, foreigner or refugee, poor. That's the quartet. And I'm not sure, I'm pretty sure actually, that no one here is actively engaged in abusing or taking advantage of any of these types of people groups, anybody with no voice. I don't believe anybody is, but... I would ask the next question, which is, are you speaking for them? The analogy has been used from this pulpit before, and I apologize for using it again, but I think it's a good one. It's not mine. See, isms like racism, sexism, classism, nationalism, these are all like riding a down escalator. And you have to actively walk up not to be brought down. Standing still is the same thing as going downward. So the question is, are you standing still? Or are you actively fighting against the isms? Are you a voice for the voices? Are you a voice for the widow, the orphans, the refugee, the poor, the minority group? Are, you, are the charges in this courtroom drama applicable to you? I want to go back to Micah. And Micah is now speaking for God. He levies these charges. And then he adds a little extra bite in verses 3 to 5. And he says this, my people, this is God speaking, my people, what have I done to you? Or how have I wearied you? Testify against me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead of you. My people, remember what King Balak of Moab proposed? What Balaam, son of Beor, answered him? And what happened from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal? So that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteous acts. I'll be very honest with you. I have a really bad memory. And Suzanne and I joke that I have facial amnesia or face blindness. Um, that's when you don't have the ability to recognize people by their face, including yourself. And I'll tell you, there have been a few moments when I've looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, who, who, who's that? Because honestly, if you, uh, for those who don't know, I, I used to weigh 300 pounds. So this is a very different, I'm still not used to this look. Um, but I'm, I'm not face blind. I just have a horrible, horrible memory. So I, I have to say, I will say this very often and publicly ask for your forgiveness for forgetting who you are. Uh, I know that I've introduced myself for the first time to many of you many times. Uh, and I am so grateful for Mass because it's such a great excuse for not being able to remember somebody's face. But here's Micah. Here's Micah. He's speaking to the people of Israel and he's speaking on God's behalf. And he's saying, what the heck? 
what did I do to make you so evil? Because the people of Israel, they had forgotten God. They had lost their memory. They kind of lost their minds. So Micah takes a minute right now and he reminds them of what God has done. He reminds them of the Israelites' miraculous exodus from Egypt, something that we've preached on for a few months here at Church of the Beloved. And then you have this story that he reminds them of how King Balak of Moab, he hired Balaam. And Balaam was a holy man or a shaman. And he hired him to curse Israel. But every time Balaam opened his mouth, and there was four incidents, every single time, the only words that would come out were blessings for God's chosen people. God was protecting them. The last reminder that Micah throws at the Israelites was of the Acacia Grove, or in your in other translation, Shittim. And Shittim, or the Grove, it was the last camp after wandering the wilderness for 40 years. This is where they were right before they, God brought them into the Promised Land. And so one last time, with the Ark of the Covenant leading the way, the people of Israel, they witnessed a river stop flowing. It was the Jordan and they crossed from Shittim to Gilgal on dry land. And so you have miracle after miracle after miracle, God showing the people of Israel that he is their God, that he is their king, he is their savior, and they forget. They forget God's face. They forget. They ignore God's nature. They ignore God's grace. They, they deny God's mercy. You know, I mentioned in the start that there are really three parts of this book. There, you have God's accusations, you have God's redemption plan, and ultimately you have God's promise of hope underneath these first two things, these, these three themes that are woven together throughout the book. And amidst, amidst the accusation, Micah is weaving in hopes because he, here's the hope being woven in that it's not about what Israel has done. It's about what God has done. These reminders of God's miraculous work, Micah is saying it's not about what you did. It's about what God's done. Micah's reminding them and Micah's reminding us of the same thing, of this truth that God wants his chosen one. God wants his beloved to remember he's always been there by their side, by our side. He has always been there for them as he is always here with us. They may not see him. We may not recognize it until much later. But God is there. God is, God was, and God will be. God is the one who saved. God is the one who redeems. God is the one through our faith alone, in Christ alone, who saves us. And in these reminders, God is showing us through Micah's words, he's showing us an important truth. And this is what he's saying. God's work of justification is not only putative, it is also restorative. God is a just and holy God. God is a fair and righteous God. And because of that, God will be fair to those who sin, which means that there must be and there will be judgment. It's putative. But the path God has laid out for Israel, it includes opportunities for restoration of a return into the arms of our Yahweh, of reuniting with the Lord God Almighty. That's, that's the hope that's woven into this story from Micah. We have the benefit of being on this side of Christ's resurrection because that putative work has been completed in Christ. And in, 
I know that it may feel like sometimes there's more putative than restorative, more punishment than restoration in our day-to-day, a lot more hurting than helping. I know it can feel like that, but we are promised. We are given restoration because of Christ's resurrection. See, we have a hope. We have the hope of sanctification. We have the hope of transformation by God's work in our lives as we work out our own salvation. I want to continue on in uh, this passage in chapter six, 6. And here Micah brings us what Israel's response to these charges are. In verses 6 and 7, it says this, What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body? For my own sin? I don't know if you can feel it. I do. What I see and what I read is just sarcasm. I don't know if you can see it, but I do. I see annoyance on the part of Israel. And as I was reading this and preparing for this in my own righteous anger, I read this and I was thinking, damn, how could these people be so ignorant? Seriously. And then I paused. And then I consider myself and I think, yeah, that's how I would probably respond too. That's probably how I would respond when someone starts pointing out my flaws, my lack. Because I'll tell you that instead of humility, my default response to correction is often anger. Or I'm just trying to protect myself. Because instead of soaking in the opportunity for growth to learn from life lessons, my typical response is to point my fingers back at the person making the accusations. You know, it makes me think of that old childish taunt, you know, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. So, <coughs> so the obvious retort most child will give, and this is for you, Luke and Henry, is, uh, oh, you're amazing. Oh, that's just stuck to me. It bounced off you. Anyway, Micah, if you didn't get it, it's fine. Micah includes this ugly truth so that we might learn from the ancient Jews' hard-heartedness so that we can grow from that, so that we can come to today's main passage and start understanding what our response should be. And the main passage today is in verse 8, the one that I think our kids probably understand really well and are now hopefully drawing a picture of. I know there are probably some kids, non-kids, who are online probably drawing a picture too and I have a feeling that because last time I got emails of folks who decided that they were going to draw pictures as well and show it to me. So go ahead, do it. I don't mind. But this is what verse 8 says in the Christian Standard Bible. It says, mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. What I want to do is I want to look at these three really quickly. I want to consider what Micah means when he says that we're to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your or our God. So the first one, act justly, which in Hebrew is mishpat. In Romans chapter 2, verse 11, it simply says this. It says, there is no favoritism with God. Acting justly, it means that we are to see and to treat everyone around us with the lens of Christ. We have to be, we must be impartial, and we need to see all of humanity as created in the image of God. You know, last year, and I, I'm, 
the, I think it was last year. Last year, the Black Lives Matter marches, um, I've, I've lost all sense of time. Uh, I think it was literally a year ago, soon after the marching and, and, and an unfortunate looting that happened. I remember Suzanne and I were going to bed and we heard some really loud yelling and arguing outside our home. So I grabbed our bat, which is our home security system. And I went to the window and I looked outside. And there were all these cops all in front of our house, literally in front of our house, and these two African-American guys that were there. One of them was really chill. He's just sitting there. The other one's just yelling and angry. I don't know the details uh, of why the police showed up. There was something about the police being called about a potential break-in, and the guy was yelling out, wasn't breaking in. That's my friend. It's a joke. He's trying to get me in trouble or something like that. I don't know exactly what's happening. But I, I actually remember thinking, wow. I was, I was a little impressed. Because after everything we've seen about police brutality, et cetera, I, 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 I loved how they were handling it. They were really calm. Uh, no handcuffs, no guns. They're just talking, just calming him down, just trying to get his whole story, letting him talk. And I went to work the next day, and I commented out at, about that, and I suddenly got this barrage of hateful words thrown at me. Oh, you're one of those people. You're more blue lives matter than black lives matter, aren't you? And it made me pause. It's like, I don't think so. What went through my head was this. We're called to act justly to see all people, those we love and those that we do not, through the lens of Christ. Now, I'm not telling this story to emphasize a need to honor authority like the cops or something. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm also not saying that it's right for us to blindly attack any group for any reason. I know that there are people who are uh, people groups that need to be treated more justly than those who are in power because they are the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the refugee, minorities, the poor, the voiceless. These are the ones that will typically need us to speak for them, to be treated justly, not only by us, by, but by society, because more often than not, they are not heard. They are not considered. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8 and 9, it says this, Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. In Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3, this is what it says there. It says, administer justice. This is what the Lord says. Administer justice and righteousness. Rescue the victim of robbery from his oppressor. Do not exploit or brutalize the resident alien, the fatherless, or the widow. Do not shed blood in this place. Acting justly is an everyday thing. And it absolutely includes us moving up the ism escalator by being a voice for the voiceless. For all. To love faithfulness. That's the second piece here. I want to... speak to what the Hebrew is. In the Hebrew, uh, ahobat is love, chesed. Now, I've used this word before, chesed, and I, I need to take a second, I think, to talk about it again. I've said in the past, it's a hard word to define, chesed. Uh, you can see and know that just by the, all the different translations there are for this little phrase. Ahobat chesed is translated as either love faithfulness or love kindness, or love mercy. And I believe all three of these translations are correct and inadequate. So I like all three together. Because the word chesed is used to describe the character, the very nature of God's loyal love to his beloved. 
His love that is generous, his love that is enduring, his love that is eternal, his love that is unconditional. This very nature of God is what we are called to. To ahobat chesed is to love mercy, to love kindness, to love faithfulness, to forgive. Ahobat chesed is to show the grace that God has shown you. It is, it is to be kind to the one you disagree with. It is to be merciful to the one you can't get along with. It is to show how we as a chosen nation, as the beloved, how we have been set apart how we are transformed and are being transformed to reflect the image of God through our lives. The last instruction in here, to fully appreciate how the justice of God can live with the grace of God, how we can both act justly and ahobat chesed, is to walk humbly with God. And to humbly walk with God is to acknowledge this truth. I don't know how to journey through this life without God. To humbly walk with God is not me trying to take the lead. It is not me trying to tell God to follow my instruction. To humbly walk with God is to turn to our dad in heaven and say, how do I do this? To humbly walk with God is also something else. It is to look at the people around you, those who are created in the image of God, And not always assume that you or I am the one that's right. Not always assume that you or I are the one that's better. It is to consider others more significant than yourself. Don't, but hear me out. Don't take it too far. Don't take it to the point where you consider others more significant, that you don't love the, who God has created you to be. But consider others enough that you also love who God created them to be. Now, when Suzette and I, we we go for a walk every once in a while, we walk a lot because we have no car. But eventually our pace, our gait, it will equalize so that we can walk together, side by side, next to each other. Here's the beauty of walking humbly with God. Because when I seek God, when I listen to God, the longer I walk humbly with God, the more I start to walk like God, to act justly, and to love mercy. I'm going to end. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. I'm going to end by reading from uh, chapter 7, verse 7 of Micah, reading from the ESV. And this is what it says in chapter 7, verse 7. But as for me, as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Micah's last act, after all the warnings, after all the prayers, after all the diatribes, his response to the cultural norms and the values that were around him was to look to God, to act justly, to love mercy. So he could walk humbly with him. So the question I leave with you is this. What's your response? What is your response going to be? Will you say, as for me, I will follow God. Let's pray. Thank you for tuning in to this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. 
For more info or to connect with us, you can visit our website at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.